All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, we have the kids with us in the service today, which is a great thing. So welcome, kids. It's good to have you with us. Um, it has been said, families are like fudge, mostly sweet, but with a few nuts. Uh, now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that is my family, except we probably have more nuts in our fudge. Uh, and... Uh, you probably might think, who are those nuts in your family? And you might even be one yourself. Uh, the truth is, we love our families, right? Um, our families have a massive influence in our lives. What our moms and dads think about us is, is hugely important to us. Uh, there was a, a rugby league and a rugby union player uh, called Jason Robinson. Right, he probably won everything there was to win in rugby. Uh, he scored the winning try when England unfortunately beat Australia in Sydney in 2003. Uh, this guy, he, everyone was always telling him how amazing he was. And yet, when Jason Robinson was a young boy, his father abandoned his family, just walked out on him. And Jason said this, he goes, you know, it's really bizarre, I had everything, I'm wealthy, I had a supportive and loving wife, I've got healthy and contented children, and I play in front of Twickenham for England, in front of 80,000 people who are cheering for me, and yet I always felt like something was missing, because there was only one person I actually wanted to be there and tell me I did well. And you know, we, we love our families, and because we love our families, when we become believers and followers of Jesus, we have this, this desire and this burden that they would come to know Him as well. And that is certainly my story, right? I was 21, I was at university, and a friend invited myself and another friend along to Alpha. We didn't really want to go, but because he was a friend, we said yes and when I first sort of went in, it wasn't the content that really gripped me, but it was the people, right? These Christians are a bit weird. They, they're nice, and they care about you, and they feed you. And it was a bit weird at first, but it was like the thing that kept bringing me back every uh, week. And so I decided, like, at the end of the course, the Lord just gripped my heart, and I became a believer. And the first people I looked to were my family. They have to know about Jesus, who I found. So I came through Alpha, so I thought well, the best thing I can do is give them all the Alpha videos, and I got them all together, and I made them. I literally made them watch all these videos, and I thought, that has to do it. They have to like Nicky Gumbel, they have to like his accent, and they'll become followers of Jesus but it didn't happen that way. So I thought, well, I've got to get them to church. If I can just get them to church, they can hear the gospel preach, and then they will become believers. And I got them to church, and they didn't become believers. And I prayed, and I cried out, and I asked God, and it just didn't happen. And 20 years later, I'm still praying. I'm still trusting, and there's been seasons where I've just been, Lord, what? Will it ever happen? Is it, is it possible? And for my wife, Irina, she has a similar story. She's 12 years old. She comes to know Jesus. And again, her heart is filled with compassion to tell her family. And same thing. They're just like, oh, that's nice for you. 
yeah, it's okay, but yeah, please don't teach us any more of this Jesus stuff. But in today's passage, we see this beautiful encounter between a father-in-law and a son-in-law, right? These two family members, and it brings such hope and encouragement and understanding to us. Those of us who are, are praying for our family members to come to know Jesus. We see this beautiful cooperation between God who is working salvation in, and then you've got this faithfulness of Moses who declares the gospel. And the first thing we learn from today's passage is that the gospel comes by hearing. This is, uh, it's like Jace just read for us, uh, it's the first verse, it says this, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. You see, Jethro, he was a priest of Midian. He isn't just like, he's got religious belief, right? He's not just like, oh, this is what I believe. He is fully devoted. He is like a, a priest in his religion. He's a religious guy. But his son-in-law comes along and he claims to serve the God of Israel, Yahweh. And Jethro must have heard about the things that the God of Israel did. I mean, can you imagine that day? Moses gets back and he goes, Dad, or whatever he called Jethro, I'm like, you wouldn't believe what happened to me today. I was out, I was looking after the sheep, and then there was this bush that was burning, but it wasn't really burning, and, and I kind of got there, and then this thing, God spoke to me. And he told me I've got to go back to Egypt. And Jethro would have been like, oh, wow, that's, that's, that's nice. Are you, are you sure it wasn't the sun? Maybe, maybe you put too much Vegemite on your sandwiches. What about his children, right? These are Jethro's grandchildren. And Moses gives them these really obscure names, which is actually telling the story of God. He has, the, he has his first child, and he calls him Gershom, which means I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now, literally, it just means stranger there. Moses has kind of fled Egypt, and he doesn't know where he is. He feels like a stranger. He gets there, and he's like, he, he meets Zipporah, and they have a child, and he's like, I'm just going to call him Goshen, because I feel like a stranger here, right? And in those days, how you kind of felt, you wanted to tell a story, you named your child that thing. It's a good thing we've changed that practice. Otherwise, could you imagine the weird names we'd be calling our children, Right? Uh, then, a little while later, Moses has a second child, and he calls that child Eliezer, which means God is my helper. And it's as if Moses has gone from really feeling this, I, I feel out of place here, I'm a stranger here, to suddenly realizing, no, but God is my helper. Moses would have realized, actually, fleeing from Egypt was God's way of rescuing me. He brought me into this strange place so he could equip me and train me and build me up to go back. If you put those two names together, stranger here, but God is my helper. They tell the story of Moses' life. Yes, he was a stranger there, but God is his helper. It's the story of the Israelites as well. Right? They were strangers in Egypt. They didn't fit in. They felt like outcasts, but God is my helper. 
And Jethro would have had his grandkids by this name. And he would have had to call them. He would have said, stranger there, uh, God is my helper. Would you guys, it's lunchtime, come in, come in. So for 40 years, 40 years, Jethro had been exposed to the God of Israel. He had heard stories about him. And yet, he still didn't believe. Now, some of us have family members who maybe hold to some other religious belief or they have no belief at all. And their attitudes towards you might range from being quite hostile to you, like, are you totally deceived? How can you believe all all that Jesus stuff? Why do you waste your time going to church? Or maybe it's more like, well, that's really nice for you. If it works for you, I can see it's good for you, then go for it. They might even really like what your church does for the poor and the needy. And they'll be like, oh, I really like what your church does to, you know, to feed the homeless and stuff. But yeah, not so much the Jesus stuff. Uh, someone actually said this to me. They said, you know, if your church just did less preaching and the time people spent on a Sunday just listening, if they actually went out and did stuff to help people, that would be so much better. And people would actually like you. And I thought, well, that's, that's a charity. That's not a church. What we're about is actually gathering and worshiping Jesus. You know, our family members might have heard all that God has done for you, for his people. And they might still come away thinking, well, that's nice. But Jesus is just one way to God. He's your way and that's okay. But there's one word that Jesus said that was highly offensive. And if he had just changed that one word, it would have been just so much easier for people. But he didn't. He used this word which really, really became offensive for everyone. And this is what he said. It's in John 14, verse 6. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if Jesus had just said, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a life, no problem. Everyone's happy with that. But he didn't. He used the article, the, and he said, I am exclusive. It's me, and it's only me. There was a, a very old movie made uh, on, based kind of on Robinson Crusoe. It was called Man Friday. And in Man Friday, the lead character says this. He says, worship any way you like, as long as you mean it, God won't mind. And the truth of it is, that's how some of our family members think and talk. But the trouble is, God does mind. God sent his one and only son into the world to be its one and only savior. There is no other name under heaven given by men with which we must be saved. Guys, that's why as Christians we carry such a heavy burden for the salvation of our family members. Because we know he is the only way to God. And here you see Jethro after many, many years of hearing and seeing the God of Israel. 
The seed of faith has been planted. You know, don't ever underestimate that God is at work, even years and years later. Because now Jethro hears again, he hears once more about what's happening, that this God of Israel is delivering his people, that he's triumphing over the Egyptians. And he goes, I must hear more. I've got to find my son-in-law. And he goes out to meet Moses. But you know, it doesn't end there. Because the gospel also comes by telling. This is what Moses says in verse 7 and 8. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. You see, Moses had this burden for his family. If you just had to stop and think everything that Moses was responsible for. He was the leader of this nation. Two and a half million people were under his care. He had to lead them through all their enemies, lead them to the promised land. Through trial and temptation and and failures and falling, Moses was leading them. And yet, in amongst all that, he has this burden for his father-in-law. And what you notice is this beautiful balance between love and truth in his witness. You see, Moses just lovingly and truthfully testifies to God's salvation. You see how he showed love. Moses, it says he he treated Jethro with honor by going out to him, right? And he met him, he bowed down to him, he kissed him. In those days, great men, they would have just waited for the guest in the tent, right? It would have been, oh, Jethro, you're here. Yes, can I show you through? Moses is in the tent. Now, make no mistake, Moses had become a great man. He was the leader of Israel. Rumor was getting about how Israel had defeated the Egyptians. Moses had become a great man, and yet we see this humility where he takes the time and he's humble enough to go out and meet his father-in-law, bows down to him. It says, there's this lovely little line, and they asked each other about their welfare. Moses takes the time for small talk. How's it going, Jethro? You know, how was the journey here? Too hot? Was it okay? Yeah, not too bad, Moses. Thanks for asking. How's it going over here? Don't ever underestimate the power of just stopping and asking people how they're doing. How's your weekend? How's your family? It's an act of reaching out in love. And Moses, he knew how to do this to someone outside of his family of faith. But you know, the truth is for me, I often find it easier to love my church family than those of my natural family. And I think that's because the Holy Spirit has joined us together. We are bonded in unity and we we share the same spirit. I can meet someone from a different culture on the other end of the world. We can get together. You're a believer. I'm a believer. We suddenly feel this connection because we have our same heavenly father. 
But then I go to family dinners and lunches, and something's missing. You know, it just it doesn't feel kind of right. I feel a little bit like, you know, Gershom. I feel like a little bit like an alien here, a stranger in this place. I, I can't really, you can't relate to me. I can't really relate to you. The most important thing in my life, I can't really talk to you about. But you know, sometimes the problem for me is pride. And that my desire to sort of straighten them out spiritually. All they need is Jesus. I've just got to tell them about Jesus. If I go and I'm spending time with my family, I will ask people to pray that, that their hearts will be soft to the gospel, that I would be bold in speaking the gospel, and all that's good stuff. But part of me comes in, and I get frustrated with them that they just don't get it. And it actually stops me. It gets in the way of me serving them with a sacrificial love. But we are called to reach out to the lost, especially our family. We are called to honor our parents. We're called to serve our brothers and sisters, and we're called to show hospitality. You see, the way that you love those outside of the faith is essential to effective evangelism. You see, unbelievers, they don't always know if you're telling them the truth. In fact, they'll often say that can't be true and that. It takes the Spirit of God to convict them of the truth. But what they do know is whether you love them or not. Whether you show them love. You see, love is not a noun. You can't look and go, oh, there's a lovely little bit of love. You see that little bit of love there? That's, that's not love. Love is a verb. It's only ever seen in loving people and loving acts. See, Moses was moved to show love and time and honor to his father-in-law. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes further. He told him, the good news, right? He testified to his faith in the God of Israel. He said, this is the awesome news about God and how he's delivered Israel. He told Jethro what the Lord had done. And the Hebrew word therefore told is to proclaim. Moses was preaching to his father-in-law, right? He must have gone to his father-in-law and, and told him the stories. He's like, dad, when, when I went back to Egypt, I got there and our people were enslaved. They were in bondage. The, this towering, powerful figure of Pharaoh held them and there was no hope, no hope of escape. And yet, there we were, myself and Aaron, and all we had was a staff and a faith and trust in God. And God came with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand. He brought these plagues and one by one, he took down the gods of Egypt. He must have told Jethro about the time when God told him to take a lamb and take its blood on the doorpost and that the angel of death would come and it would pass over them. But all the firstborn of Egypt died. He would have told his father-in-law that we came out of that time, we were in the wilderness, we were at the Red Sea and we thought, that's it, we're going to die and the Egyptians are coming behind us. But God opened up the Red Sea for us, that we could go through the waters. And then the Egyptians were drowned, and we were finally free from them forever. 
The one thing that you notice in this proclamation is that it is entirely God-centered. I don't know if you've noticed that, right? Moses doesn't say anything flattering about the Israelites. In fact, like, let's be honest, he couldn't, right? Like, yeah, they, we got there, they didn't trust, they grumbled, they complained, and then they didn't trust, they grumbled and complained, and then they didn't trust, they grumbled and complained. Right? And yet, and yet, God reaches down and rescues them, right? Exodus is all about what God had done, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, how the Lord had delivered them. It's not how the Israelites delivered themselves. It's not how they were strong in themselves and they took up arms to fight Pharaoh and they had this incredible faith and and trust in God. It's not even like they were worth saving. Right? God didn't look down and go, oh, wow, have you seen the Israelites? These guys are amazing. Look how good they are. Look how faithful they are. They never complain. They never, no, he didn't say that. And yet, yet God has mercy on them. He reaches down and he saves them. It's God alone is worthy. Now, Jethro, his heart is open to this. And look what happens to him. Look what happens to him. The gospel brings rejoicing. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. He responded with joy, right? He rejoiced at all the good that the Lord had done. That Hebrew word there for rejoiced is the word chada. Now, I love Hebrew, but the only time you can ever speak it properly is when you've got flu, right? It's that horrible guttural language, right? Chada. Now, it doesn't sound like an amazing word, but it is. It's this overwhelming sense of joy. It's this kind of joy that just penetrates your soul. It is completely indescribable. It is chada. You know, Jethro didn't just believe. He celebrated it. He rejoiced in it. And it's the same joy for us when we come to know Jesus. We are filled with chada. You know, the one thing that happens when we spend time with our family and friends who don't know Jesus is that you will find the conversation revolves around those things that people are looking to find joy in. They will talk about entertainment. They'll talk about the movies they're watching, the Netflix shows they've, they've been seeing. They'll talk about work. They'll talk about family. They'll talk about sport. And all those things bring a little bit of joy, just a little bit of joy, but they all fade. Think about your favorite sports team wins on Saturday. On Saturday, you feel full of joy. Sunday, a little bit less so. Monday, yeah. By Tuesday, you've completely forgotten and you need it to happen again the following weekend. And our families are searching for joy, but only, only in Jesus do we have chada, this overwhelming sense of joy that is found in him. But you know, Jethro also responded in faith. Jethro focused on what God had done, God's saving work. You see, Jethro, in this moment, he just suddenly gets the picture. He gets it. 
He recognizes that God actually defeated all the gods of Egypt. He suddenly, in a moment, he realizes that God is supreme over all things. Now imagine just for a moment what it must have been like for Jethro. He's devoted his whole life to serving a pagan god. And he has to admit, well, it was nothing. It's not even a real god. It's nothing. It it was never there. God is supreme over all things. Jethro is completely transformed, right? He's just like, his pagan past is gone. He realizes that the God of Israel is superior in every way. He's stronger than the gods of Egypt. He's stronger than the gods of Midian. But you know, when we look at Jesus, we can see the same thing. He is superior in every way. Mercy, He is superior. He offers forgiveness to sinners. Love, superior in every way. He gave His life. Power, superior in every way. He conquered the grave. And glory, superior in every way. His glory doesn't corrupt Him, and yet we can trust Him because He is reigning and ruling over the heavens and the earth. And Jethro gets it. He gets it. But it doesn't stop there. There's one other thing that Jethro gets that's really important, is that the gospel requires sacrifice. Verse 12, it says this, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Jethro now finally bows the knee to God. And he offers burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now the difference between a burnt offering and all other offerings was that a burnt offering was the entire animal. It symbolizes Total commitment, right? Total surrender to God. Jethro is now all in, right? It's not like Jethro is saying, well, it's great. I've come to know Jesus. I'm just going to add him to my life. The gods that I already have, I'll just add Jesus to it. No, Jethro gets this. And he goes, everything else to the side, it's Jesus and it's only Jesus now. I am all in. The Christian life is one of sacrifice. Um, When I was young, I hate saying that thing, when I was young, but anyway, it's true. When I was a younger man, um, and I would go to youth talks and and young adults rallies or whatever, um, and people would get up and they'd give their testimony, right? And one thing that always used to shake me a little bit was, Often people would get up and say, I came to Christ and all my troubles disappeared. And I'd listen to that and go, oh, you know, I don't think that's not my story. I came to Christ and all my troubles began. And I feel like in the last three years I've been in more trouble than ever before. But that's what Jesus promised. He said, in this life you will have trouble. But cheer up, I've overcome the world. You know, I speak to people all the time who have made massive 
sacrifices to follow Jesus. Maybe it's leaving precious loved ones behind to go overseas. Maybe it's career opportunities that they've had to turn down. Maybe it's complete careers that they've just abandoned to follow Jesus. And you know the thing is, when you speak to each and every one of them, and you talk about the sacrifice they make, the question is like, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's completely worth it. When I consider what he's done for me, how he sacrificed himself for me, or what, what I do for him is nothing. It's nothing compared to the weight of glory that's waiting for me. When I get a glimpse of who he is and this gospel that, that this holy, righteous God would die for me, a sinner, it's worth it, completely worth it. And it becomes easy to say, Lord, take it all. Take it all. I trust you. You know, Romans 12 talks about us being living sacrifices, daily sacrificing ourselves for him. There is a lovely little part that finishes the story. It's that Jethro becomes part of a much bigger family, right? He becomes part of the, the family of God. Jethro's family multiplied by 2.5 million that day. Right? It says Moses and Aaron and all the elders, they share communion together. There's this guy, right? This priest of Midian. This priest of Midian. I mean, who would have thought that he would have come to Christ? You might be thinking, you don't know my family member. There is not a chance. How much more so the priest of Midian? The Midianites were enemies of Israel, right? It's the Midianites who brought Joseph into slavery. And years later, it would be the Midianites that raided Israel in the days of Gideon. And yet here we see someone who was an enemy is brought into the family and is welcomed in as a brother. And they share this meal together in the presence of God. You see, the, the salvation of Jethro is actually just a picture of how God is working out salvation of the world. It's not just the story of one man and how he came to faith or even the family. It really reveals God's heart and his plan for the whole world. You see, salvation was never just for the Jews. Right from the beginning, it was for all people, all nations. So no one is beyond God's reach. No Jew, no Gentile, and not even your family member. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Let's never forget that. But it is also a reminder that God has given us a message to proclaim. A message that needs to be told. It is a message of a God who gave himself up on a cross. He takes our sin and in the most loving act gives us his righteousness so that we can have access to the Father. He gives us the hope of eternal life because three days later he rose and now there's an empty grave. 
Most of all, I don't want you to lose Jesus' heart for your family. Paul writes this in Romans 9. He says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Yeah, Paul is saying, Jesus, I've come to know you. You are my most treasured possession. And yet I have this great sorrow, this unceasing anguish, this burden, this burden that my brothers, my fellow Israelites would know you. Jesus, if it it meant that that I had to be cut off from you, the thing I treasure most, if that's what it means so that they could have you, Lord, do that. I wish it would be that case. You know what Paul's really saying there? He's really telling us about Jesus' heart. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus said to the Father, I have to get them back to us. Let me go. Let me go and, and be cursed on a cross. Let me be cut off from you so that you could bring them back to yourself. Guys, that's the heart Jesus has for your family. And these weren't nice brothers that Paul's talking about. They were actually really causing him a lot of trouble and a lot of pain. They weren't sending him Christmas cards or inviting him around for lunch. And yet he has this heart for them. That's Jesus' heart for your family. So let's never give up praying. Let's not lose hope because God is in the saving business. That's what he does. Um, I told you earlier that Jason Robinson, right, he was abandoned by his dad. Well, after 34 years, he finally got to meet his father. And he said, like, the day came and they connected, they hadn't spoken. And he was waiting to meet him. And he said he was the most nervous he had ever been. Like, more nervous than a World Cup final. He's standing there waiting to meet his dad for the first time. And as the door opens, they just naturally hug each other. And his dad says this to him. He goes, I am so proud of what you've done in your life. And Jason Robbins said this. He said, with those words, it felt like a burden had just been lifted off my shoulders. I'd been waiting to hear something like that from this man, my father, for all my life. I long for the day, I long for the day when one of my family members, my dad, my mom, my sister, my niece, my nephew, can say the words, now I know, now I know Jesus is greater than all else and he's my Lord and my Savior. I long for that day. But here's the question for us. Who's your Jethro? Who's your Jethro? And do you need to invite them into the tent? You know, there is another side to that. Is that for some of us, it might not bother us at all. 
either we've just gotten cold to the fact that they don't know Jesus or we just don't really like them anyway. We don't have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in our hearts for them. You know, the truth is when that's happening is Christ has no longer become our treasure. When we no longer consider, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing you. Because if we don't treasure Christ, if we don't honestly come before him and go, you are our greatest treasure above all else, then there's no ways we're going to tell others about him. But when he is, when Jesus is your treasure, you can't help it but have great sorrow and unceasing anguish for others. You know, Scripture tells us that we are to bring a sacrifice today. Not an animal sacrifice for sin. Jesus did that a long time ago. But we are to bring a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews says it like this, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to our God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to stand and we're going to worship a God who is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. Let's not lose hope or grow faint. He is mighty to save. But we're also going to finish by praying for your family members and my family members. We're going to pray for our hearts. That Lord, break our hearts for them. Help us understand how you feel for them. Will you stand with me now? And let us pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you, the King of kings, the Savior of the world. Lord, we know that you are mighty to save, you and you alone. Father, I ask that where my heart is growing cold and where I've been full of doubt that my family could ever come to know you. Lord, thank you for the, the hope that this passage brings. Father, I pray once again, would you give me your heart for those who don't know you? And Lord, I pray for all of us. I know all, all of us are carrying burdens of family members who don't know you. Lord, I pray for us. Lord, that you would encourage us, that you'd fill us again with your hope. Lord, if you could save Jethro, a priest of Midian, you can save our family members. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with boldness to tell people, to tell our family members of what you have done and the hope that they can find in you and the salvation that they can find in you. Lord, help us to love you Help us to make you our treasure, to enjoy you this week, to be found in your grace and your favor. Father, we don't want to go out and tell the world because, because we feel guilty about it, Lord. We want to go out and tell others because we know the joy, the chadah that you have given us of knowing you. And Lord, out of that, I just pray, will flow your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.